Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. What is up, Buttercups? I don't know why I started the podcast out that way. I just felt like it, you know, and sometimes you just have to do it. I'm also recording this on audio, my voice memos today, instead of recording it on my computer. And there's no reason, like, other than I just didn't want to go through the trouble of turning on my computer and turning on the camera and the mic and all that wishwam, whatever you want to call it. It's just, I'm feeling really lazy today. And sometimes when you're working with yourself and you're feeling lazy, you have to meet yourself halfway. And I'd rather get a podcast out to you without any film than not do it at all. And so it's fine. And honestly, sometimes just gonna like come in close for a second, listen, turn up your camera or your phone. When I'm only recording audio, I get, I have a different personality. I don't know why, but it reminds me when I first started the podcast. For those guys that are OG listeners, you'll know. When I first started this podcast, I recorded it on the floor in my closet because the sound was better in there. I didn't have any professional recording. I didn't have a nice mic or anything. I just had to use my headphones and my computer. And so I knew my closet was tons of clothes. So I felt like that would bounce the sound off, but I would close the door and it always felt so intimate. Like I was sharing secrets with you guys. So now that I'm recording this on my phone, I'm like in my little office corner and the lights are a little lower. The fairy lights are on. I feel like I'm sharing secrets with you guys. It feels, feels nice. Maybe I'll do this more often, but probably not because reels are nice and you got to have camera equipment. Anyway, for those of you guys that aren't, do not know me or just hopping on this podcast for the first time, welcome. We talk about bulimia recovery here. I wanted to talk today about bulimia misinterpretations, misconceptions about bulimia, assumptions people make about bulimia and people who struggle with bulimia and, and listen to all of these. But if I missed any, reach out to me say, or say what you think. Follow me on Instagram about it or email me. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. But I got this idea, shout out to the client, you know who you are, from a client who told me she was talking to her brother and someone that they knew had an eating disorder. I'm paraphrasing her story. And the person, her brother, was like, oh, it's such a shame that people are so obsessed with their weight that they do that to themselves or something, like that they care so much about their looks that that's what they're doing. And it was incredibly dismissive. And clearly the brother wasn't trying to be dismissive, but he just legitimately thought that that's all bulimia is about. And so my client was like, you should make a podcast about this. I would love to hear something where you talk about all the misconceptions and misinterpretations and assumptions people make about bulimia because it's just so frustrating when people say things like that because it's so much more than that. And I totally understand. And I, you know, I think the biggest, most dismissive thing I heard, which hopefully people don't take offense to this. I feel like some people hear this and are like, oh, boo-hoo. But I would always hear when I was struggling with bulimia or told people, they're like, oh, but you look fine. You look normal. You know, you don't need to worry. As if, if I were overweight, that means I should be binging and purging. Like, what the hell do you mean by that comment? But people thought by comforting me about my appearances that therefore oh, well, there's no problem, right? And that's obviously not what bulimia is about. Sometimes it starts off from vanity, but it really it becomes much more for most of us that struggle with it. So 
I want to talk about that today. I think it'd be helpful for you guys. So the first, and it's probably a shorter podcast, but you know, rapid fire all the same. It's not always about the length of the content. It's about the value of the content. I'm trying so hard to believe that. I like have this nasty habit of just trying to lengthen out content that doesn't need to be lengthened. People would rather get their content fast and full of value than horribly long and boring. And honestly, I've never really liked those podcasts that they just talk about nonsense the whole time for the first 30 minutes to 40 minutes, and then they get to the meat of things. I was like, I came here for answers, please. (laughs) Unless it's like a conversational podcast, then you're fine. But even then, sometimes it gets old. Anyway, I'm becoming one of those podcasts right now. The first myth I wrote down was it's all about looks, vanity. And then I wrote down after that, it may start out that way, but it's much more than skin deep. So I think a lot of us, we started out maybe pursuing purging, because we thought it was the only way that we could control our weight. So it did maybe start as a vanity thing. But even then, there's much more to it. Because why were we eating in such a manner that we felt so out of control with food that we couldn't control it in any other way other than purging? Like even then, even when it's a compensatory behavior just to control your weight, it's already much more than how you look in your weight. Like, To think that your weight and your looks or whatever are so important that you need to hurt yourself in order to to maintain it says that there's a much more deep-rooted issue. There's uh, a self-confidence issue, a sense of self issue, a prioritization on looks above anything else, of not trusting yourself, a lack of of trust in what you can do and if you can be controlled, and a deep-seated need to be accepted in lots of different ways. And you probably also using coping tactic of food to numb emotions and possibly trauma going on. Like there's so many reasons people turn to this behavior that aren't just looks based. And even if it starts out as just a vanity thing and a measure to try to maintain your vanity, there's already something else going on there. It's not really just about the looks because most people don't want to hurt themselves to maintain an appearance. And certain people are willing to go through that. Certain people are. And the ones that are, I'd say there's something going on that's more than skin deep. And that was the first one for me too. It's just like always being dismissed. It's just, it's definitely not just about looks, but people think that. And something I find so annoying, I just heard it on an old sitcom. Oh yeah. My boyfriend was watching, what is it? Not Is it called The Sopranos? It's like this old mafia show, which is kind of interesting. We were joking about how it's like a mafia sitcom. I'm not watching as much, but some girl made this offhanded comment about like, oh, they're scared I'm going to go bulimic again. As if it's like this offhanded casual thing that you go off and on and it's no big deal. Like I've seen so many people, I think there's a joke about it in Mean Girls. There's many jokes about it throughout TV and stuff about how like bulimia is just this thing that you casually do. I remember one girl at the gym one time when she found out what he did, she's like, oh, everyone goes through a bulimia phase, right? Like that's just something everybody goes through. It's like, no, it's not. It's not a, it's not normal. Even if everyone's doing it, it's not normal, right? Like everyone used to smoke cigarettes. That's not okay. It's not normal. It's not healthy. So it's just so frustrating. And people think it's like this vanity tool. It's not. Anyway, I'm going to get off my pedestal there. Another myth, I'm just going to jump in with it, is you'll never recover. And a client said this to me. She heard a podcast the week about this girl kind of just accepting the fact that she'll never recover from binge eating or bulimia. And I just think that's bullshit. I don't, not everyone will recover. And I hate saying that because I know everyone listening out there is going to be like, I'm the one I'm told Jacqueline, I'm the one. Let me tell you all the reasons why I can't do it. But I just want you to stop, like put a pin in that for a second. I'm just going to like chill. You can recover because you have the ability to change. Even if you, if, even if some people don't recover, it doesn't mean that they didn't have the capacity to. And I think we can stop questioning so much of 
can I, am I able to, and just say, no, you totally have the ability to, because you have a human brain and that human brain has the capacity to change. If you have the capacity to change, you have the capacity to recover. And it's so wild to me because like we're figuring out different things that's, that's causing us to age, right? We're really figuring out many secrets as to how can we reverse aging? How can we stop aging altogether, which is complete and total madness, right? But we're figuring out things, how to reverse cell aging, but you can't believe or fathom that you have the ability to recover. That's absurd to me. Of course you can. Maybe it's more complicated than you think. Maybe there are different hows that you've not discovered, you totally can recover. That is just absolutely a possibility. And then it's just a matter of figuring out how. People saying that you'll never fully recover. She heard someone say like, bulimics never fully recover. I think that's bullshit. I think that maybe what they mean by that is, oh, bulimics, they always, maybe they always have it in their head that they have the option to purge. And that I found that to be true in the case that my brain always knows it's an option that we could turn to. My brain always knows that it's a possibility but it doesn't mean that I actually engage in it. There's always an option of knowing I can purge, but it's so easy for me to dismiss that. It's so easy for me. I've had so much practice in telling my brain, no, that's crazy for X, Y, and Z reasons, that it's just not really a thought to me. And the only times where I feel like I'm more vulnerable to it is when I am have not slept a lot, when I have not taken care of myself properly, when I'm really hungry, all those things, or maybe when I have actually overeaten a little bit and I'm feeling a little bit more blah. But during those times, even then, I know it's not actually because it's a good idea. It's just something my brain does. It's my vulnerability, just like an alcoholic is vulnerable to going back to alcohol sometimes. And then it's not so much that you are relapsing because you're having those thoughts. It's more so a, oh, this is a sign that we're not taking care of ourselves and our vulnerabilities are showing because of that. We just need a little TLC. We don't need to go and binge and purge. So yeah, I think it's bullshit. If people think they can't recover, I get where they're coming from. I was there. I have the utmost sympathy for you and empathy, but trust me, you can. It's not a question of if you can or not. It's just a question of how. If that's a question, you just got to keep searching until you figure out the answers. Hopefully my podcast and many of the other amazing resources out there are helping you. Um, but I think you can find a way. Another myth I wrote down is it's just about the food pleasure. This is an interesting one because people think okay, well, bulimics are gluttons. You know, it's just about the food pleasure. It's not. Some people actually that I've worked with, they hate binging and they just binge to purge. They just binge so that they can numb the emotions. They actually hate the food that they're binging on and they don't even really love the purging. It's just like this odd self-punishment thing that they're looking forward to, but they binge to facilitate the purging and the numbing, but they really hate the food all along. I think it's really unfair. And again, it comes to this place of not understanding what bulimia is actually about and that there's much more deep-seated issues going on. Bulimia oftentimes becomes a punishment for people. And it may have started out as this vanity thing, but then it becomes this much more habitual ritualistic eating. I remember so many times when I was binging that I didn't even like the food, kind of hated it, especially since I was broke as hell. I was bulimic for the most part. So I would always like get sale pastries from the grocery store and like whatever was on sale that day. And it was crap. There was a reason it was on sale. It wasn't very good. And I would eat like I would make a pizza that was frozen, but I would like take it out when it wasn't done yet. It was just like, it was just a chew, you know, I was just, I would chew on like one time there was this oats and chia seeds at our house. And that's what I binged on. And it was disgusting. It wasn't very good. But you know, that's what I binged on. It wasn't about the food pleasure at all, though. It was just about like numbing this frequency going on in my body. And a lot of people don't understand that they just think that they're binging because they like it. And then they are purging to compensate and maintain their figure. And that's that. But then equally, another food myth is it's 
it's not about the food, food pleasure at all. Like that's another myth too. People think, oh, it's just, be, you're just throwing up after, after meals. But some people, because the restriction they go through, because of maybe their natural tendencies, while I didn't like a lot of my binges, I did like a lot of them. And food, my mom always, I never realized this, but when I was a young child, like I looked forward to food more than other people. I remember that. And I would always like to eat my food in a specific way. I'd always like to like truly enjoy my food, which is not abnormal, but I think I take more pleasure from food than other people. And possibly a lot of people who struggle with bulimia also do. We tend to be more sensitive people, not always making a generalization, depends on the person, but I feel like us that are more sensitive, we're more sensitive to pleasure and wanting more and more and more of that. I feel like I have an addictive personality if I want to pathologize myself, which isn't something you should do, but I'm going to. And in which case, there is this addictive element to it. I really feel like food or bulimia for me and many other people I work with is kind of like this drug addiction, but food is our drug, not alcohol or other substances. And we use it all the same. And of course, there's an emotional numbing element, but there's also this addiction spiral going on with food as our primary substance. And then another myth I wrote down was bulimics are lazy and out of control. This is beyond the truth. And I hate how people always like They want to be anorexic. They don't want to be bulimic because bulimics are seen as out of control and lazy and no willpower. I think that's the opposite of the truth. And it's been interesting because I used to think that about myself and people have bulimia, but bulimia, it's not something to be proud of, but we take things to extreme and we're willing to do anything and everything we can to get what we want, including doing crazy things like binging and then throwing up our food and torturing ourselves to maintain it. I'm not glamorizing it. It really, really fucking sucks. And it's not something to be proud of, but it is insane. Right. And it is crazy that we're that driven and that we're willing to do those things. I think the people I've worked with and come to know who have struggled with bulimia, every single one of them are just, there's something about them and they excel in the the passion that they have. They give everything 110%. They just go full throttle and they're, they have a lot of energy and passion to give to things, which makes sense. They probably are such energetic people that they need to bring that energy down sometimes and use bulimia as such. But I have not met a single person with bulimia that is just lazy, that is just uh, lacking any direction at all. And if anything, they're more willing to get things done and they're, they're usually high achievers and they're very great professionals in what they do. Like a lot of people that I work with, they aren't lazy. They aren't just chilling at home all day. They have hard lives and they're working towards it. Um, in all areas, I work with moms sometimes I work with, uh, sometimes CEOs of companies and people in different professions. Like I've worked with a lot of different people and not any of them seem lazy to me. They all seem highly driven, overachievers, perfectionist, willing to do what it takes to get what they need to get done. And that includes, unfortunately, using some bad behavior sometimes. But you can you can take it as bad, you can take it as good. I think all of our personality traits, they have a good side and a bad side. And being driven and being willing to do whatever it takes, that's where the bulimia comes out, unfortunately. But the cool thing is, is that if you're struggling with bulimia right now, it means that you have a high drive to do things and you can put the energy you're putting into your eating disorder into other things in your life. Like I've put most of my eating disorder energy into this business, into helping others, into this podcast. Like it's taken up a lot of my time and energy and I love it. And I think the reason that I've been successful the way I have been is of course, because I speak honestly to people and I offer something of value and I'm speaking about something that no one seems to want to speak about 
don't know why people are so shameful, but whatever. I'm willing to, I'm willing to die on the sword. But part of the reason is just because I have that frantic drive to do shit. Maybe it's ego driven too. I don't know, probably a little bit, but that energy I put towards my eating disorder is now here and they're the same energy. Both are powerful, but one can destroy you and one can lift you up. So people that think bulimics, bulimics are lazy and out of control, fuck them. They have no idea what they're talking about. Um, okay. And then bulimia is not as serious or elegant as anorexia. That's also bullshit. Eating disorders of all kinds, but anorexia and bulimia are some of the most deadly ones you can. And bulimia, I think, depends on, you know, what level of anorexia, what's going on, but bulimia is quite lethal. Obviously, people know that if you're purging all the time, it causes a lot of health effects I'm not going to go into. You can go back to one of my episodes where I talk about um, why purging is never worth it, but obviously people are more likely to die of heart attacks and have heart issues and palpitations going on from it. Uh, There's a lot of things that can happen that can fuck you up with bulimia. It is definitely a lethal uh, mental disorder that should be taken seriously, and I think that anorexia is interesting. Like, anorexia is a place from restriction, and I'm speaking with little experience. I don't talk to as many people with anorexia. And I also, I did have anorexia in high school, but I don't even define it as anorexia. Yes, it was restriction, it was extreme obsessive restriction, but it just never, I always fell on the bulimic side, I think. And, but I think that people who struggle with anorexia, they are very, very controlled, very rigid. Bulimia is this interesting thing where you've kind of just like let yourself get out of control and then you're trying to fix it. I find that people with bulimia are a little less scared to do things. You know, if, if I might make that other sweeping generalization, I'm like already feeling nervous about releasing this episode now. Hopefully it's not god awful. But like people that say, oh, bulimia is not as serious, not as elegant, it's definitely just as serious. And anorexia is not fucking elegant. It's actually not glamorous at all. And that's just a, that's a glamorization of that eating disorder. There's lots of health, awful things that come, health effects and awful things that come from anorexia. There's a lot of awful things that come from bulimia. And I think there are different traits that go on with each of those eating disorders, but neither is better than the other. And bulimia, bulimics tend to just go for it with their all being. I feel like anorexia, it's kind of, they're reserved in some ways and that holds them back from recovering in a lot of different realms. But obviously I believe everyone can recover. I don't know. I feel like I said something wrong, but we're going to keep on rolling all the same. And then another misgeneralization is bulimics are underweight. And that is not true. Most people that are uh, have bulimia or an eating disorder in general, a lot of them are not underweight. A lot of them are either normal weight, average size weight, or heavier than that. They have more weight than that's going on. And that's a shitty thing about bulimia and a lot of eating disorders is if you don't see it, it doesn't seem like it's an urgent thing. It doesn't seem like it's a issue. And a lot of people that get treated, it's because they're severely underweight. And the problem with treatments and eating disorder treatments clinics is that they're almost like they're not going to help you if you are at a normal weight because it's not urgent. And so it almost encourages people to be underweight to get the help they need, which is just totally messed up. But yeah, a lot of people that have eating disorders are of a normal weight or higher. And I was always on the high end of a normal weight, if not overweight sometimes. So, you know, take that for what you will. But I was like hardcore struggling and binging and purging every day. And I was on the heavier side. So, and I've been, it's, it's really interesting to think about like people think, oh, it's just this, but it's not. You can't tell if someone is an eating disorder just by looking at them. 
I feel like I can tell more when people have eating disorders by their mannerisms and some of the comments and behaviors they have around food. I'm much more in tune to it because of the clients I work with and my own personal history. But I can pick up pretty well when someone's kind of sus about food. I never say anything unless someone like happens to speak to me about what I do. And then I mention that I obviously help people with bulimia recovery. And then usually privately, they'll come up to me later and like ask me some questions and stuff and start confiding in me. But I never bring it up to people because I know like if, if I were struggling and someone just accused me of struggling, I would deny it till I was blue in the face. Okay. The other myth is bulimia is an effective weight loss tool. So this is one of the common jokes I see in comedies and like early 2000s sitcoms. I don't think people do it as much now because people are more sensitive to those things and mental health problems, but it was rampant in like Degrassi, that show. I feel like they made comments about it. Tons of stuff in the 2000s and 90s, just awful and earlier actually. But anyway, so bulimia, there's a study done a while ago about how purge, how effective purging was. Sometimes purging can be super effective and actually getting rid of the calories. It depends on who you are and how good you are at it. Uh, I was never really that great at it, which probably contributed to my weight being higher, but I definitely like would try my darndest. Um, but it, and so it can be effective in terms of reducing calories, which I, again, hate to say, I'm not trying to encourage people to do this. I just want to be honest, but here's what I thought about. Even if it's effective at, at, um, removing calories from your body, if you're doing it the quote unquote awful right way, it's still making you reliant on this awful thing in order to maintain your weight that comes at a gigantic fucking cost. It's like a timeshare. It's like taking out a payday loan. It's like taking out a high interest debt to pay your bills or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense. Learning how to monitor your intake before you put it in your mouth and not having to rely on purging is far more effective than using purging in so many different ways. I've never been healthier as I have been now that I'm not struggling with bulimia. It's so much easier for me to do things because I'm not struggling with bulimia and so much easier for me to just not eat the food in the first place rather than having to purge it later. It's just not an effective tool for weight loss because even if it's managing your weight, it's coming at such a high cost that the benefits you're getting of weight management are not being, are, are definitely being outweighed by the negative effects that it's having on your body. It's just not really that effective and does, it's not worth it. And learning how to manage your food beforehand is such an ultimate win over purging. Purging, purging teaches you to be reliant on it. It's not very helpful. And the last one I wrote down is bulimia is only people who binge and purge. Binging and bulimia are not the same thing. So a lot of people who are struggling with bulimia also happen to binge and then purge, but they're not the same thing. Binge eating disorder is a completely separate thing. A lot of people who struggle with bulimia can just eat normal meals and purge. And then purging it doesn't exclusively mean vomiting. It can mean any sort of compensatory behavior you use to counteract the calories that you're taking in. So it can be restriction, it can be exercise, it can be laxative abuse, all those things. It's not just binging and purging. It's, it can be complicated, it can be different, but I think that's a myth as well. Hey, this is um, Jacqueline of the future here. I'm just popping in one more myth that I can't, I almost put this out without saying it, but it's just such an obvious one. It shows my privilege, but people think that bulimia eating disorders are just a white girl thing. Like it's just a white, straight, heterosexual girl thing with no problem. Usually wealthy people struggle with it. No, 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 no. 
not at all. I would say I've I've had male clients, firstly, a lot of people that are in the LGBTQ plus community, like everyone, they are usually more likely to be affected. Those of different races are obviously affected. And I think if not more so because of not only some of the traumas they have to go through, especially if they're in like an all white society or something like that, but there's all these beauty standards, these Western beauty standards that um, are put on people of different races that may never have that type of body type but try to go into those. So it creates this sort of eating disorder epidemic. So yeah, it's a shame. People think that bulimia is just for teenage white girls of wealthy families in America. And from the work that I've done, the people that I've talked to, that cannot be furthest from the truth. I've seen people of all different shapes and sizes struggling with eating disorders, all different races, eating disorders, different sexualities, orientations, eating disorders, male, female, whatever you label yourself as, whatever you are, eating disorders happen, people that are able-bodied, people that aren't, all these things. So eating disorders do not just fit in that tight-knit category. And because people think and assume it's just a white, rich girl thing, they oftentimes misdiagnose and don't seek they don't notice people that are struggling more often. And if you are of a different color or other than white, and if you are a man or maybe uh, transgender, anything like that, or yeah, anything different from the standard norm, which shouldn't be the standard norm, you're more likely to just get swept under the rug and not get proper treatment because people automatically assume that you wouldn't be struggling. So that's another awful, awful myth that happens to be in in a lot of culture that we see today and what people assume. And it's always on, again, comedies and sitcoms too. It's never like the black girl that's struggling with it or the dude who's struggling with an eating disorder always seems to be the white teenage girl, like all ages too. It is not, I've, most of the people I work with too, they're 30 plus. I always usually work with people older than me, which, you know, soon will change because I'm getting older too. But most people I work with are 30 plus and a lot of people that I've worked with are usually in their 40s and up. And I'd say, look, the majority of my clients are either 30, like somewhere in their 30s right now, or they are in their 50s. So yeah, take that for what you want. All right. I'm going to go back to the regular podcast now. All right. I think I covered all of them. Let me know what I missed. If you found this helpful, if you found this validating, let me know. If you find this podcast helpful too, give the podcast a review and a rating. That always helps it get seen more, but interesting. And then this is this is a totally off-topic thing, but I was thinking about Ozempic and how that's it's like I'm late to the game to talk about it, but you know how like celebrities everywhere are using the Ozempic and all that sort of shit. Well, there's the Taylor Swift tour going on and I'm not accusing Taylor Swift of using Ozempic. I'm not. I don't. I don't know. I haven't. I don't really care about Taylor Swift. Uh, I know a lot of my clients are big fans. I just, you know, whatever. It's fine. But one of my clients mentioned she just went to one of the concerts that Taylor Swift looked thinner. She had lost weight and she was comparing herself to Taylor Swift and how like she just seems like she's in such a good place. And I mentioned, you don't know what they're using in order to maintain their weight. It could be Ozempic, it could be lots of different things. And I'm not saying Ozempic is bad. Like I, there's, there's obviously pros and cons to that. And there's a lot of fallout from that experience, a medication shortage, and then there's side effects from using Ozempic, whatever. But I just want you to be careful as you go out here, just like there's misconceptions with bulimia, you may be misinterpreting someone's journey and weight loss, and you have no idea what they're doing behind closed doors. Of course, you know, I'm not saying people can't lose weight. I've lost weight and it was totally fine and didn't have to take a pill or do anything harmful to myself. But you never know what people are doing. So be wary when things seem too good to be true 
or they seem just like a little bit triggering to you in that realm, a lot of celebrities are doing a lot of crazy shit. I remember in Miami, plastic surgery was just so much more common there and procedures just like LA, I imagine. One woman I mentioned to one of my friends, like, oh wow, she like she's really low body fat. Like that's that's insane. And my friend was like, oh, she's had fat uh, removal done around her abs so that she'll never grow fat there again. And it was just, it's not that I'm shaming that person, but it's like, oh, that person, their body, she's obviously this like fitness instructor. She's promoting her body as if she's done all these things and she just use, she just maintains this body through her diet and exercise. No, that's not always the case. So this is totally random tangent. It just came to my mind as I was talking about the other myths. Be wary of interpreting people's results and thinking you can get the same thing. Everybody's different and you have no idea what people have done. That's going to be more and more dominant as we go into the future. I don't think plastic surgery or pills are wrong, depending on you know what you want to do. You always have the right to do what you want to do with your body, but don't think that everyone just got there through you know hard work and eating broccoli. So just want to put that out there. Anyway, this took a weird negative turn, but it's just as on my mind, especially with the Eros tour, tour going on and Ozempic being rampant and all those things. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today and you found it helpful and you found it validating. If I missed any myths or anything, reach out to me on Instagram or email me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And if you like the podcast, give it a rating and review. That always helps me out as well. Like it seriously does. So I'd appreciate it. And then also the pause retreat is happening. August 3rd through the 7th. If you're like, what the hell is the pause retreat, Jacqueline? I haven't been talking about it for the past four episodes. But the pause retreat is a luxury wellness retreat, recovery-focused retreat in Mexico at a private retreat center in uh, San Pancho, Mexico. It's just going to be very relaxing, small, intimate. I just bought my plane tickets to go, so it's real. It's happening. And it's the word that keeps coming to mind is it's going to be super rejuvenating and peaceful. I just think everything, the world's going to slow down a little bit when I go. And it's this beautiful luxury home with very well-trained staff. We're going to do, there's different wellness services you can use. I think I'm going to get a really deep tissue massage while I'm there. And you'll have access to those things too. And then we're going to do a cacao ceremony. We're going to do a local city food tour adventure. We're going to um, have group meals together. We're going to have group coaching call things in the morning and talk in one-on-one time and just time to sit in nature, all those things. So if you are interested in that, if you feel like you need some sort of reboot going on with your recovery, you need peace and you need to be removed from whatever fresh hell's going on in your life and just get some days of stability, peace, and healing, this retreat's going to be for you. That you can access that information and everything else going on that I have at bingebreakers.com. It's real. It's happening. I'm super excited. And I was indulging today. I don't know if I'm going to because it feels... I still have trouble like buying things for myself. I always feel selfish, but I was looking at a few clothing items online to look like a hippie guru when I go, like some flowy dresses and stuff. This is totally necessary to my retreat planning. I definitely need to get new clothes. Like, stupid. So stupid. But I'm doing a lot of planning for that too. And like, I was writing content and I keep thinking all the time of like, how can I make this retreat amazing? What do the people need? I'm talking to a few clients that are going next week and I'm excited to ask them like, what elements are you hoping to get out of this retreat so they can prepare even more and like what they're, it's just going to be so cool. And it's going to be so small so I can like customize it to whoever's going. 
I'm super excited. Anyway, so if you are interested in that, go to bingebreakers.com. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I might record more episodes like this, even though you don't get to see my face. It's just so much more intimate. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just in a good mood today. All right. Bye, everyone. Never give up on yourself. I'm